Today's TripCast is presented by Texas Performing Arts. Texas Performing Arts presents award-winning storyteller Mike Daisy, taking on controversial topics with hilarious comedy, brilliant observation, and pitch-perfect timing. Learn more at texasperformingarts.org. Texas Talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas Talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys love. Hi, this is Sean Colvin. I have a new record out with Steve Earle called Colvin and Earl. If you're going to be at the Austin for the Texas Tribune Festival, stick around until Sunday night, September 25th, when Steve and I will be performing at the Paramount Theater. Hope to see you there. For now, enjoy this week's TribCast. Here's your host, Patrick Svitek. Thank you. This is Patrick Svitek here at the TribCast for the 31st of August. I'm filling in for Emily Ramshaw. I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. I got you the Sean Calvin <laughs> intro. That was my little present. Very to you. appreciative. The very last grateful. Nice thing I'm very grateful. Very grateful for the next half hour. Uh, also, executive editor Ross Ramsey. Which take was it that she got his name pronounced right? <laughs> I think there was only one. It's take. Pretty close. That was like first take. Ninety-five percent accuracy. You know, I actually yeah. wrote out the phonetic spelling of Svitek because I was worried she was going to say, "And now here's your host, Patrick Svitek." <laughs> yeah. So I thought, what the hell, right? Right. What the hell? That's the common mispronunciation. Svitek. Svitek. Yeah, yeah. And reporter Alexa Orda. Uda is the last Uda. name of mine. I think I got it. I no, thought you really? Did fine. I was fine no. with that. That's like that my was best. The reference Take to two. The I was practicing all morning in the you. mirror. You know, she, 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 she's crawling up my behind. It's you about know, Evan, not you. It's he pronounced up. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> he grew up with the Indiana Uras. Do you know that? So right. He's, he's right. good with this. Got it. Actually. He did great. He did great. He did great. Well, before we begin, just want to remind everyone on uh, Facebook uh, that you can weigh in with questions anytime, and we'll try our best to answer them. Um, so there's been some delicious political news over the past 24 hours. <laughs> I think that Tasty. we want to <laughs> we want to start uh, <laughs> with a, a taco bowl full of noodles. <laughs> Just a, we'll a lot going on. Bowl. But the serious stuff first. <laughs> um, Alexa, you've been involved in this project. The Tribune released yesterday, uh, unholstered. It's a year-long investigation into six years of police-involved shootings in Texas. Uh, what did you guys learn? So uh, basically, we learned that it's pretty impossible to tell exactly how many times police shoot at people in Texas. It's sort of a combination of spotty record keeping and an unwillingness to share some of this information. We had to pry out uh, the information that we got from some of these departments, and some of them tried to withhold them in any way possible. Can you be specific about which departments? Let's do some name sure. shaming. Sure. <laughs> so Corpus Christi and Pasadena said they could not provide a list of police shootings unless we had some sort of identifier, a date, a case number, the person who was shot at, which seems pretty incredible that they just have no way of knowing when their officers shot. Um, San well, so, so wait a minute. So we'll tell you about police shootings if you tell us when the police shootings you want to know exactly. about were? Exactly. Unbelievable. Ask me a specific that's question. A, yeah, <laughs> that's a good police technique. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Perland said that they would not, they, they tried to withhold as much information as possible going through the AG's office. Surprisingly, we won a couple of those rulings from the Attorney General who said that these departments did have to release some of that information. Um, and then Wichita Falls and San Antonio, for example, don't keep track of off-duty shootings. So they have, they have, they did provide information about shootings in general, but were unable to tell us which ones involved off-duty officers, which sort of present all sorts of different issues in terms of how they're investigated and prosecuted if they do get to that level. 
But you know, overall, it's. it's I thought you were going to wuss out on answering specifically. I'm kind of psyched. Of course not. They're in my. It's in my, <laughs> it's in my story. Open gut yeah. shaming. Um, no, but I think you know that. That's a good shaming right there. Nicely done. Yeah. I think part of it is that there's no real state. There's no mandatory requirement for these police departments to report all of these shootings. So they have a little bit of cover when it comes to that. But I think that's part of the problem, that there are all these debates, but no sort of real information about. So tell me about this law. I was fascinated by this. There's a law that says they have to report, but there's no punishment built into that law. Right. So the law requires them to report, and if they don't, nothing happens. Exactly. The the Texas legislature last year enacted this bill that requires reporting to the AG any time a police shooting results in an injury or death. So that's going to miss about a fifth of shootings, at least in the time that we looked at, where an officer shoots and misses. And that that law that was passed has not actually made a material difference in the ability of organizations like ours to collect this information? You know, it didn't go into effect until last September, and it's not retroactive. So we only have, we were able to confirm some shootings that departments would not provide us. We were able to confirm at least some details from those AG reports. So the numbers that you quoted in your story and in the series of stories that we did are actually at least blank. Absolutely. The assumption is that there are shootings that we simply could not tabulate or could not calculate because we didn't have the data. Absolutely. And for example, Corpus Christi, which would not provide the information unless we give them some sort of, some sort of identifier, we were later able to confirm some of these shootings through news reports, AG reports, and other outlets. But we know that there are shootings missing simply because the departments have you know, a lot of leeway in terms of withholding some of this information. Alexa, this has obviously been a tremendous issue nationally. This is a pretty comprehensive look at it in Texas. I think on the national level, when we talk about it, we talk about race a lot. How much does that? How much is that dynamic unfolding here in Texas? Yeah, I mean, I think there there hasn't been sort of this high high profile shooting or controversial shooting the way we've seen in Missouri um, or Minnesota and, and other areas of the state. But if but if you look at the data, which sort of would provide at least some sort of factual underpinning to this debate that has reached Texas, uh, it does show that people of color are more likely to be shot at by police, whether they're armed or unarmed. Part of that is that there are some socioeconomic factors that lead to more interactions between police and people of color. But when you break down the numbers and start looking at incident types and whether folks are unarmed and, you know, experts sort of pointed to the idea of implicit bias and whether there's sort of a, you know, basic subconscious difference in the way a police officer Mm -hmm. might react when dealing with a person of color versus a white person. Um, And that's sort of something you can't really train for and you can't really screen for. Um, Mm -hmm. And that and, you know, for, for folks in the field, former law enforcement, that's sort of what they point at as sort of what's missing in all of this, aside from the fact that there's no real, until now, there was no real evidence or data to sort of lean on in having these conversations. Sure. And just one, one last question before we move on. I know you talked to some lawmakers in, in your stories. When you talked to them, how concerned were they? And is there any momentum behind this issue? Or is there anything they can do about this issue as we, we head into the next session? You know, I think that was part of why they enacted this reporting bill last year, because mm-hmm. they had nothing to go off of. And I think what, what they've, Eric Johnson from Dallas, he's a state rep who filed this legislation for the reporting, said, you know, he fully admitted there's no teeth to it. We need to come back and work on it. We need to tighten a couple of things up. Um, It's clear now that in doing this sort of injury or death reporting, they're missing about a fifth of shootings. Um, So we might see that come back. But, you know, it was interesting to see sort of their response yesterday from both sides of the aisle, folks who were saying, you know, 
maybe we do need some more of this data. Mm-hmm. And the bill passed with bipartisan support, so sure. I think we'll likely see them come back and maybe tighten up some of that reporting. Okay. Th- that, that's really the interesting part of this, I would just say, before we move on. You know, on the one hand, you have this tension between Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter that has emerged over the last couple of years, and there is this reflexive, and I don't mean that to sound like I don't understand it, but it is that. It's a reflexive response to support police and police are in dangerous positions and they're often targeted themselves and you know accept and peace and all that so that tension exists and in some ways that tension is going to be at the center of any continuing conversation around police shootings but the flip side of that is is that there is a movement toward criminal justice reform that knows no partisan limits and the example I'd give most recently is the call to uh, stay the execution of Jeff Wood sure right. which was led by Jeff Leach a fairly conservative um, member of the Texas House who over the course of the week running up to the state had collected signatures from some of the most left-left and some of the most right-right who put down their partisan swords to come together on this. I'm curious to see whether, in fact, there's another version of the criminal justice reform is bipartisan conversation that comes back to this or whether the whole blue lives versus black lives thing is going to be an impediment. But but I think it's a really great question to to raise. We'll see if something happens in the next Does this new law require the department's without teeth, but require the departments to report shootings involving off-duty cops? Yes, it, it does. does. It so does. San Antonio is going to have to get with the program on this. Exactly. Right. So in a lot of ways, it did move the ball forward. But I think when, you know, at the end of the day, even law enforcement, of course, they're facing incredibly dangerous situations. We looked at hundreds and hundreds of incident reports in which, you know, there, there are SWAT calls, there are robberies, there are people being held hostage. They're responding to all sorts of situations. But I think what both the activists and law enforcement could agree on is that you can't really have a discussion without the information. And oh. and that's sort of what the middle ground was yeah. there. Alexa, we have just a quick question from Lori on Facebook, going back to the reporting process on this investigation. She wants to know, do departments like Corpus Christi give any explanation for the obfuscation? Um, oftentimes it was that they didn't have sort of the logistics in place to do that, that they didn't have their internal so reporting to, system, yeah. um, that they had, they had no way of pulling these things up, but mostly because they weren't identified that way on the, you know, they, they don't ha- they're not tracking them as they occur. And so that was sort of the way they were able to say, we can't pull this. We'd have to look at every single incident report from the last five years. Which the law requires them to do. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, for our listeners, if you want to check this out, you can go to uh, apps.texastribune.org slash unholstered, or you can find it on our homepage. Um, Thank you to Alexa and your your colleagues for this great work. (laughs) And um, so moving on, I don't think there's any way to logically transition from that to this. Um, (laughs) It was announced late last night that Donald Trump, the Republican presidential nominee, is going to be in Mexico today, meeting with the president there. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> no taco bowls. He won't find any there. It's very true. Um, I don't, you know, I Is think one of the funding for a wall? Is this- <laughs> I, I, I th- Maybe I, they'll I, build a wall I, before I, he comes back. Well, in, in fact, that was, the, that was the big joke last night was, you know, now we should build a wall. Yeah. Build the wall while he's once here. He, once right. he leaves. So right. we should point out, to be factually correct, that there is a wall already built in uh, many parts of the border. <laughs> well, it's more like a fence, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's fence, wall, wall, wall tomato, tomato. Fence wall esque. Some places they built a moat. <laughs> <laughs> I like moats. Yeah. This is <laughs> called the Rio Grande. I'm a, moat, I'm a fan of moats. <laughs> so, so Trump is jetting there right before this immigration speech, hotly anticipated immigration speech in, in Arizona, where he's expected to 
hopefully clear right. up some of these immigration positions that have got muddled over the past few days. Will this meeting with the president do anything to unmuddle that situation, no. change the dynamic with no. Trump and, no. and the country? It's a political stunt, but that doesn't invalidate But does it change the optics? But that of... doesn't invalidate it as a decision, right? It's a political stunt. He may get something awesome out of this. He may get his ass handed to him. Or there may be a middle ground. I don't know. It, it could be one or the other or the other. I think, you know, he's trying to move one of the centerpieces, or if not the centerpiece of his whole campaign, which is, you know, sort of fundamentally flawed. You know, the, the original idea of this campaign and the, the opening speech of this campaign right. was about this issue, and now you're trying to change it. And what does that look like if All the not while saying you're a not political, trying to change it. What does that look like if not a political move to move from the people who originally supported you to the people who haven't mm-hmm. changed their minds yet? I don't know how you but successfully— But does change their mind? If he moves— I think he endangers his base. If he doesn't move, nobody else is going to come along. I don't see any reason anybody would buy this. The assumption is that minds are in a position to be changed. Right. Right. I don't believe the people who support him. I think his his statement of months ago that if he walked into the middle of Fifth Avenue and shot somebody, that his supporters would stay with him is true. Absolutely. I mean, to the degree that that was a gaffe, it was a classic political gaffe and that he told the truth. That Mm -hmm. was the problem with it. Yeah. Um, And at the same time, I believe the people who are opposed to him are going to remain opposed right. to him. I don't believe, you know, the numbers in the national polls, his Hispanic vote, the number that sticks out in my mind is 17%, which is 10 points fewer than what Romney got against Obama in 2012. If, in fact, Trump's percentage of the Hispanic vote is 17%, the 83% who are not with him are not going to suddenly be with him because he seems to temper his view or right. because he goes and meets with Peña Nieto and reads him the riot act, or because he somehow gets Peña Nieto to agree to the wall, he comes back or the check. Peña yeah. Nieto says no wall, comes and Trump says... Comes back for the giant check, like Publisher's clearing out. I actually don't think there's anything that could happen out of this meeting that would cause any of the people in that 83% to come around. This is entirely about suburban white Republicans right. who right. feel guilty about the idea that they want to vote Republican, but this guy's yeah. perceived by them to be a racist, and and, and he's trying to temper that view in their minds. Well, well it sort of it... echoes what he's been doing in the last couple of oh, weeks. Oh, yeah, with more than just Hispanic With more voters, than just yeah. Hispanic voters yeah. and minority voters in general. Where Including it, the Dwayne Wade family. It's, well, and it seems like it's a little less about minority voters and more about convincing those white suburban voters that it's right. okay to vote for him and that he's not a racist. Yeah. And I, I just don't see it changing minds. And, you I know, think... Peña Nieto is highly unpopular. I was going to bring that up. He's that Approval like rating is twenty. Context. His approval rating yeah. is twenty three percent. These in are Mexico. Yeah, these are both. There are right? two men who are highly unpopular with Mexicans and Hispanics in the U.S. It's a therapy group. So and, and, and think about the fact that they're so unpopular. So what does each of them need in sure. the sense that they are unpopular and need they, to somehow if, mitigate if, that? If, if there's a fist fight, their ratings both right. go up. Trump right. needs right. to Trump needs to rip this guy a new one, and Peña Nieto needs to rip Trump. A new one. It can be a win-win for both it of them. It can be a win-win for both of them. So nothing is going to change. <laughs> Let's fight. Trump flies back to Arizona tonight and gives a speech in which he said, I told that Enrique Peña Nieto, you know, I gave yeah. him what for. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he wags his fist. The, it's, the, it's theater. It's a stunt. But it doesn't invalidate it as a tactic. Yeah. Was, it, was that 23% you said? 
No, I don't. Yeah, right. okay. yeah, yeah. I saw that number last night, and I thought, right. how bad of a place politically do you have to be in that you choose to meet with Donald Trump as a way of boosting Donald your— Donald Trump <laughs> upgrades <laughs> you, exactly. exactly. Oh. He's, he's at 30%. I still think he's going to be the guy to watch. I think his reaction to this and his, his, the Mexican president, his yeah. postgame on this is going to be mm-hmm. fascinating. You know, you kind of have an idea— Right. About what Trump might do, you know, even if it's surprising, you kind of have an idea that it'll be surprising in a particular way. But sure. you know, the Mexican president's the wild card here. I think this is fascinating. I love the fact that a Giuliani and Sessions are accompanying Trump. <laughs> three so amigos, it's like yeah. the three amigos, yeah. right? right. <laughs> Giuliani is playing yeah, the Martin right. Short role. Come back with their first pinatas. Right? But who's not Trump a com- yeah. Who's Trump not accompanying right. Trump? Is the press? If you notice, sure, it's a private meeting. What's, what's, happen, what's yeah. happened is that the, 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 the press was not <laughs> consulted in all this. This decision was made at the last minute. No press is accompanying Trump on this trip. It was pointed out on Twitter this morning, of course, that when Obama went to Europe or Romney went to Europe, yeah, and it, McCain went in p- past instances of presidential candidates during the campaign traveling overseas. There was a lot of planning, and there were a lot of logistical uh, boxes checked, and ultimately they all. Um, they all were accompanied by traveling press. Yeah. No press this time. And well, it was a disaster was, for Romney when he was accompanied well, there by was the also, press. Well, yeah. I was going to say, there was also some backlash in each of those cases of, um, you know, you're messing with foreign policy for political ends. Well, but at you know, the what end are you of, doing overseas? At the end of the day, Trump's going to come back no matter what happened in Los Pinos, in Mexico City, wherever they meet. He's going to spin this to his advantage. And so it almost doesn't matter what happens in there because it's, right. it sort of comes down to who can spin the loudest. I think it does because, you know, there's a big press corps around the Mexican president. And I think, you know, if, if he they're said, allowed if inside, the juxtaposition is going to be fast. Well, well, that's yeah. it. So, you know, I, right. I got I got five bucks says that the story told by the Trump people and the story told by the Pena Nieto people about what went on behind closed doors right. is not the same Absolutely. story. Absolutely. I right. mean, it just seems obvious to me that they're both going to spin it in a direction that may not be consistent. No, it was like he was speaking another language. <laughs> <laughs> so after this meeting, Trump obviously has immigration speech in Arizona. Right. Um, one thing I think that kind of touches closer to home here. Um, we have a story out this morning that I wrote about how Hispanic Republicans <laughs> in Texas. Some guy named brief, Spitey. <laughs> brief promo um, about how Hispanic Republicans in Texas, at, especially at this juncture in the campaign, have been dealing with Trump. You've seen some that have stayed fiercely opposed. You've seen some that have taken roles with his campaign advising him. Maybe they don't agree with him 100 percent, but they at least want to influence him. And then you've seen some like Lionel Sosa, we learned earlier this week and I guess earlier this summer in some ways, who've stepped entirely outside of well, the, Juan Hernandez. the Republic. Both Sosa Juan Hernandez and Hernandez well. are prominent Republicans um, in Texas, from Texas who right. are with Gary Johnson. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, you know, certainly a very interesting moment for Hispanic Republicans in Texas. What, what have you guys found in your reporting about how this race has developed in relation to what they hope to get out of out of the nominee. I, you know, a lot of people are just sort of pulling the blanket over their head. You know, it's like I don't want to say something. You know, I'm talking about Republicans. I don't want to say something against the party, and I'm not going to say something out loud against the candidate. And mm-hmm. but I'm going to cast a private ballot this time. I don't want to say anything yeah. mm-hmm. in favor of the candidate. A because you know either because they are uncomfortable with many of the things he's already said, mm-hmm. and B, because they're politicians and they're afraid of the things he might yet say between now and November. And, you know, if right. you get behind somebody and then they go to Mexico City and pop off, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, oh, now i got to well, eat that. I, I have an actual anecdote on this subject. I was in Brownsville last Thursday night at a Brownsville Chamber of Commerce event at which I interviewed anecdote, right? <laughs> at which I interviewed Ambassador Tony Garza, the uh-huh. former U.S. Ambassador to Mexico, longest-serving ambassador to Mexico in history under George W. Bush, formerly was Texas Railroad Commissioner, the first, Lat- state, right? first Latino Republican elected statewide in the history of Texas. 
1988, he was the youngest and first Latino Republican ever elected countywide in Cameron County when he was a Cameron County judge. This guy's been a Republican longer than it was cool to be a Republican, right? Tony Garza, when I asked him point blank in front of what is with a Chamber of Commerce event, classically a center-right business audience, are you going to vote for Trump? His response was, I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And I said, that's not the question I asked you. He proceeded proceeded then to go through a whole litany of all the positions that Donald Trump had taken, deportation, wall, all that kind of stuff that he did not agree with. And in the end, he finally acknowledged, I'm not going to vote for Trump. Now, he may hold to what he said. I'm not voting for Clinton. I'm not voting for Trump, which is to say I'm not going to vote at the top and I'll vote down ballot. Or I'm I'm with the former governor of New Mexico. Or he may vote for Jill Stein. Right. I think that's very likely. <laughs> Why not? Um, but I think that Tony Garza's predicament is interesting, and I think it illustrates everything you're yeah. saying. You know, in that room, there was a, a lot. There were a lot of nods of assent I could see mm-hmm. from the stage. Mm-hmm. People who yeah. are largely, but not exclusively, a Latino audience, and largely, but not exclusively, a center-right audience. No love for Trump. No sense that anything in the Trump agenda fits with their understanding of the border. They hear rhetoric that they think is totally out of sync with reality. But some who are, who are trying to make it work, you know, Trump unveiled this his National Hispanic Advisory Council. It had six Texans on it, some very influential Hispanic Republican activists. Um, that's obviously a, a relatively small group within the entire Hispanic Republican political ecosystem in Texas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those people are somewhat enthusiastic and they're somewhat optimistic that the speech today is going to at least um, – Head in the right direction of maybe softening well, some, some of those guys. Are, right some direction? of, those, some of yeah. those guys are taking some licks for this too. I mean, that's, yeah, that's right. sort of the, you yeah. know, the is the right direction the softening or the hardening? Right. No, I think for <laughs> them the right direction is is the softening. More more compassionately. Kelly and Conway with, said on the Today yeah. Show today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they may be disappointed. New softening paw, to use <laughs> but the I, wrong language. I mean, first, I think you <laughs> right. need to, you know, whether you accept the premise that he's actually softening his rhetoric or just changing, you know, sure, yeah. he's changing a couple words, but maybe not actually changing his policy. And I think that sort of right. is what troubles or can put Hispanic Republicans in Texas in a really weird position. And I think politically speaking, it's probably a lot easier for, say, Larry Gonzalez, state rep from Georgetown, is it? Right. Right. Round, Rock. Round Rock. It's probably much easier for him to enjoy Trump than J.M. Lozano, who's a state rep from the border. Because Except, does Gonzalez endorse Trump? No, he hasn't. Well, he's he one, of, he's one of the comments. folks <laughs> who haven't responded to you. <laughs> but when you think Can't about it... Can't you through my Winnie the Pooh blanket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you think about it politically and beyond 2016, right. who's going to come... You know, it, it opens up the opportunity sure. for a primary challenger to come in and say, yeah. hey, look at this guy. He endorsed the person who right. hates well, all of you. Well, as we've said before, this is a what did you do during the war daddy moment mm-hmm. for a lot of people. If he gets creamed... Right. And Cruz and Kasich and the people who declined to endorse Ben Sass yeah. all look good. There'll be a version of that at the state level. The people, Connie Burton, who said, I'm not going there. Let me, But to the point that you made about whether the policy is changing or not, can I ask you all a question if my read on this is similar to your read? So initially Trump says, I'm going to deport everybody who's here illegally he, without just, without right. distinguishing between Send them all home. Some of them people who've back. committed right. criminals or not. Now he's saying, no, no, no. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to first identify the people who are here illegally who've committed crimes. We're going to send them back. But the people who are not here illegally, we're going to send them back, make them pay taxes, and then apply to get back in. So if I'm doing the math on this, if you're going to send back everybody who's here illegally, and you're also going to send back everybody who's not here illegally, aren't you deporting 11 million people? What's the do- what am I missing? That seems to me to be another way of saying the same thing. 
I think you're onto something. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I actually was almost. Not I was crazy. almost yeah. worried. I'm trying to find a way to say this. <laughs> I, it sounds better than the way I, was, I said it. I was, it was before, almost right? worried that I was thinking about this wrong and didn't want to ask the question for like the last week because I was like, I'm going to look like a schmuck. Not yeah. that I'm problem. Well, this goes back to this goes back to my point. It's like the same. It's like it's like two plus two equals four. This goes back to my point. The danger here for him. And I don't really see a lot of upside is appearing to move your centerpiece. If you're not really going to change your position, right. um, why are you talking like this? If you are going to change your position, what the hell are you doing? There's yeah, 60 yeah, days left I, in the campaign. It's I mean, it's just, motion, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, mess. Um, right. One Texas Republican who is we know is supporting uh, Donald Trump is former Governor Rick Perry. Uh, he was in the news this week uh, before we he learned was also about in the Apple Store this <laughs> exactly. week. We can talk about that if you want. So first thing we learned about him is that he's going to be a contestant on the next season of Dancing with the Stars. Um, Perry's obviously stayed in the spotlight. <laughs> I, I can't since do it. The great man. I, I'm not there yet. It's, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it, I this mean, is the greatest country. I'm I very excited. Like I fantasy mean, politics. Ryan Lochte. This is obviously. I see a, a, new, a new sphere for him. Is it all surprising, <laughs> right? though, given the fact that he's, he's stayed in the spotlight so much since he left office, running for president, being involved in politics? I mean, was this the next natural step <laughs> I don't him? think Dancing with the Stars is the next natural step for Some people would say it is once you drop out of, once you drop out of the race. That's true. Though. I mean, I think we should point out that he his one of the reasons he's doing it is because he wants to sort of highlight veterans' issues. and But that, I mean, I don't, you know, there's sort Come of on. this room. They are paying him a shit ton <laughs> of, of money. Of course they awesome. are. Of I course mean, they right? are. But I'm speaking politically in terms of, you know, in a Trump administration, whether he gets Secretary of Veterans Affairs. But what's how is he gonna, how a way is he gonna, to get how there? How is he going to highlight veterans issues? Cha, cha, PTSD. Cha, cha, PTSD. What's, what's I, I mean, as a practical matter, what is he going to do? It makes no sense. He's addicted to the spotlight. And he's out of the spotlight. And what else am I going to do? What else am I going to do? going to like, dance on national know, TV. Tom Sawyer showing off on the fence. I mean, he just can't. He's restless. You know, <laughs> yeah. settle down. You know, go wrap yourself in a blanket and sit on your porch in Round Rock, Round Top for a while and <laughs> calm down. <laughs> but you're probably right. He's probably making a, a ton of money for this. Um, you're not going to run for the Senate. I mean, that's we know from Andrew he says Lever's he's not going to run for the right. with, with the governor that he is not running yeah. for the Senate. I'm, I'm not that kind of a guy. So, what's he going to do? And he can he? I mean. Can't serve in a Trump administration if we were treating that as a realistic prospect, or at least well, this, this, that this, deferred, well, deferred this service. Well, this makes This would be a president who came from a reality show. Why could Rickberry not Logistically, he wouldn't be on the first Shaming yourself on national television is apparently not a disqualification for service. I'm not saying he'd be disqualified. I wonder just logistically how it would work. I mean, did they, they already film this? This is you assuming that Rick Perry will make it to the oh, final oh, of Dancing with the Oh, this is like Project Runway or Chop. By the time the show is over, we—they've already the people on it are already back home they're not like filming it live yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. yes they are no. is dancing with the stars like that it is live, it's live. I, of course i would my... have no idea whether this was the case because <laughs> okay. i have not watched is it, the second it is live it is according to my mother is project watching runway it, also it live? live no no is i don't chopped live i don't know i don't know you guys don't watch chopped no I don't have cable. Man, I'm old. All right. <laughs> Chopped is uh, Dancing with the Stars Mr. for old people. Mr. HGTV over here. Right. Wait, HGT Wait, Dancing with the Stars is Dancing with the Stars for old people. No. No. Why, why are you the one who watches it? No. My mother watches My it. My mother. That's fine. All right. Well, the other thing we learned about- You're a good daughter. <laughs> other thing we learned about Perry this week is something that Evan uh, hinted at was that he spoke to our Abby Livingston in an interview, partly to promote his Dancing with the Stars um, involvement, but he also was asked about the, Did the whole interview like <laughs> exactly. The prospect of uh, challenging Ted Cruz in 2018, which is there's been this somewhat small 
maybe superficial boomlet over the past maybe few superficial weeks. <laughs> I like that very nice yeah um, that this would happen um, and Perry basically said this yeah. is not something I'm I'm interested in well if you take Perry out of it then it's actually been more like a bustlet than a yeah. boomlet because right. the only person who seems possibly to uh, be seriously uh, in competition with Cruz and the polls McCall. is Perry. Yeah. No, it's Perry. Well, in the polls, polls yeah. In yeah, the yeah. polls. So if you take Perry out, right. then nobody who they've poll tested against Cruz comes within a mile of mm-hmm. Cruz. Really, the Cruz people are probably breathing a sigh of sure. relief over this news because if, in fact, the polls are to be believed, Perry would have given him a well, run. That's what's actually interesting about the so. that's that was what was interesting about the speculation. It wasn't so much whether you think Perry will run as what if he did? And what does that say about Cruz's potential weaknesses after his failed run for yeah. president, after his speech, et cetera, et cetera? Now you've got that question open, but you don't have the kind of challenger necessarily. Mm-hmm. Unless Mike McCall jumps into the race and says, I'm going to spend a yeah. billion dollars. Uh, but I'm not convinced that Mike McCall's millions or billions or yeah. bazillions are necessarily yeah. themselves a determining factor in the outcome of a race. Well, the rich guy doesn't always win. That's yeah. true. Well, McCall has, has, has kept the Ted door Cruz kind of know. creaked open. I was a little surprised during Abby's interview that Perry, he didn't close the door, didn't rule it out, but he was definitely more against it, seemed more against Run, it. Running? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't yeah. read. I, see, I, oh, read, yeah. I read. I'm reading the story. <laughs> I, but I read. I read yeah. Abby's story. I'm gonna say you didn't yeah, read yeah. what he said to mean that he sure. was definitely not running. Yeah. I did read it that way. Yeah. You know, I'm an executive guy. I'm not. A I thought he playfully kind of keep the option open, even if you know, not yeah. you know. Uh, and I think you know, looking at this now, this may be the period of time. You know, fast forward to 2018, that we look back on this Texas Senate primary and be like, this is the most exciting time. Like this may have been when the, <laughs> right. the field was right, clear. You know, this right? may be better than the 2018 <laughs> races. But yeah, even that's when right. you get the primary you want, it can be not exciting. I remember all of us thinking that Kay mm-hmm. and Rick in 2010 was going to be like Ali Frazier when, in fact, it turned out to be the thriller sure. in Vanilla, yeah. right? It was the most boring race in the history yeah, of the Bambi world. Bambi versus Godzilla. Even when you get the race you want, you sometimes don't get the race you want. I'm on the record believing that Cruz is not going to suffer for his failure to endorse Trump. I'm going to go further on the record and say that Cruz has absolutely nothing to fear in 2018. Yeah. If he wants to be a United States senator in January 2019, he will be. That doesn't mean we're not going to talk the shit out of it for the next two years. Yeah, and Evan and I'll be fighting about this for the next two years. Yeah, because right. yeah, yeah, yeah. he's wrong. Yeah, we have two quick questions on this topic from uh, Facebook. First one is from Jamie. Joaquin uh, C. of San Antonio. <laughs> You're on. His question is, what are you smoking? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, how vulnerable do you think Cruz is? Um, Jamie wants to know, will George P. Bush or McCall run against Cruz? Is Cruz even still around? Should someone check on him? Um, oh. He's been doing a, you know, he's been doing what you're supposed to do after you lose a race. He came home. He's been going all over the state, which is how he got elected in the first place. And kind of seeing, you know, he's on what Hillary Clinton would call a listening tour. He's out there seeing, you know, what kind of shape am I in? What do I need to do? Even in places that don't vote for Republicans. Getting his first sounding. Corpus Christi, where he was this week. He's getting his first sounding on Mm -hmm. what his political chances are. I think his biggest political hurdle is actually the same one that um, Rubio is facing right now, which is, if I run for Senate, am I going to serve a whole term? Yeah. Or are you just putting me in place so I can it's run for president again? It's going to be an question for him to get. It's going to be, yeah. you know, yeah. why do you suddenly want to be a He's, he's pretty be... much answered it, hasn't he? Cruz? Rubio. Oh, I mean, without oh, being Rubio. asked it. Cruz is more or less telegraphed to everybody that he intends to run again in 2020. So if anybody asks Cruz during the Senate race... Are you going to serve out a six-year term, commit to serving out a six-year term? And he says anything other than no, he's lying. Yeah. It should be noted, this person's wondering where Cruz is. 
Cruz has done some semi-public appearances this month, but he has not taken a single question from hmm. the, from the media uh, this month. But hello, <laughs> September twenty fourth at the Texas Tribune Festival. Shameless plug. Right, door open. Ted, Ted Cruz and Evan Smith for an hour together on stage. He will have yeah. to take. So all I'm saying is, we just haven't heard a lot about right. him from the What's political he gonna ask news you? of the day. You know? What's he going to ask me? <laughs> um, and then one last question. Can you believe Rick um, Perry's from... on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> Did you see that? He's cray. Got any moves? <laughs> right, that'll be his question. One last question from Marshall White. Who do you think the Dems will pick to face? Cruz. I think we've, we've talked about this before. I think Hank Gilbert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Joaquin Castro is the only one who's expressed the only sort of formidable candidate who so far publicly. has expressed an interest publicly. Wendy Davis was asked about it. She said, I don't really see that. Um, she didn't say no, but she said probably not in a way that was pretty convincing. Oh, she pretty much said no. She didn't say, didn't she, you know. I'm apparently taking people's words more literally than <laughs> I should be. You don't remember that whole time when Rick Perry wasn't going to run for president, do you? You've got to parse these things. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. Anyway, so Wendy Davis is out. Castro is maybe in. I think he'll probably look at it the same way he did. Um, he and his brother were both asked when um, the his, Senate seat opened Julian last time. Julian ruled it out in some well, ways, right? You know, mm -hmm. at, at the time, this is a couple yeah. of state Democratic conventions ago, both of the Castro brothers and Anise Parker, who was then the mayor of Houston, were asked, are you going to run statewide? And they all had some version of... It's not time for us yet. So I imagine they're going to go through the same math. And unless they're seeing something um, that we're not seeing right now or unless yeah. there's something new in this particular election, I still don't see it. Here's yeah. the observation I'll make about – I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Well, I was just going to say, does it, at the end of the day, does it matter whether a Democrat runs or not because of the way – this state is set up. What will be seen with voter turnout? This isn't going to be a presidential year. You can't do the math based on turnout in 2016. I just I don't know if they even have the votes. That's to get there. The, and and yeah. that's the point. Right. It's going to be the mid-year of what we think will be. We don't know for sure. We won't know until November. But what we think may very well be the f the first midterm of a Democratic presidency, when Democrats typically get their asses handed right. to them. In a state that does not like Democrats under ideal circumstances and especially won't like them under not ideal circumstances. There was and you have a series of state elections for which there are no Democratic candidates lined up. The biggest problem, I think, for any Democrat who tries to run for the Senate is you are flying without a net. There are no people running for governor, lieutenant right. governor, or any of the other races down the ballot who provide you with cover. Th this is a very different scenario. In 2012, when Cruz ran the first time, it was not a state elections year right statewide the, statewide election elections year. year this is a this is going to be very complicated i think yeah. and and i think that unless the democrats have their acts together up and down the ballot there anybody who decides to jump off and run for this seat had better do so from a job they don't have to give up yeah. castro would here's somebody who wouldn't have to give up a job trey martinez fisher yeah. now, he may be looking at another race on the ballot or maybe looking at no this, race on this the is ballot. where i was going to go you need somebody who knows how to make a fist and who does has, has as, as donald trump might say who has nothing to lose the strongest democratic candidate is not going to pick a strong republican candidate they're going to pick the weakest republican candidate and in 2018 that's likely to be either Attorney General Ken Paxton or Agriculture yeah. Commissioner Sid Miller. Oh, and God, so, please give me <laughs> Trey, Trey so, Martinez I mean, Fisher, Agriculture Commissioner. Seriously, if you're if you're one of these, yeah, he'd be, yeah, um, beats. So I'm here to talk about beats. We're, um, wearing a cow, big old cowboy hat. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, if you're yeah. if you're an ambitious Democrat and you're looking for the weak spot in the Republican line, it's not Ted Cruz. Sure. 
Um, well, thank you very much to our uh, Facebook questioners. You did well, um, Meat. That is, <laughs> I'm not done yet. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're coming That's, that's all the time we have. The, the nuclelouche <laughs> of the Trimcast, actually. Three strikes. You, you any, get a uh, 10 from the judges. <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> I'm not trying to finish here. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, email them to tripcast at texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Alexa, and our producers Todd and Bobby, this is Patrick. Thank you for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. What I remember was a, a, a particular point in that time when he shook his ass at the camera. <laughs> Do you remember Tom DeLay shaking his ass at yeah. the camera? Rick and I remember thinking, it's over. Okay,